0: and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks and God bless. Okay. Well, we're continuing in 1 Peter. We've got two more weeks after tonight. Uh, we'll finish up first Peter, and then we'll stop again, take that break for the holidays uh, and see what happens from there. Um, We're in first Peter chapter four. We're going to go from verses 12 to 19, finish this chapter here. And, you know, Peter is trying to move these followers of Christ in their faith so that they can endure the suffering that they're going through, that they could endure the persecution that they're experiencing and how they can be able to grow in their faith in spite of whatever life throws at them. And I think that is such an important aspect of faith for all of us because suffering shows up in different ways throughout all of our lives. And this type of faith or this type of Christianity that goes and gets kind of like a a pint of Jesus on Sunday and feels good and then goes back maybe on a Wednesday and feels good, but it's all about just kind of going and having an experience and then living apart from the relationship, that kind of faith usually doesn't stand. And I know that you have encountered probably or heard of people who have said, "Well, I used to believe, but my, you know, father got sick, my child this happened to them and some kind of circumstance took place in their life where they said I can't believe." because of this event where some kind of difficulty came upon their life and it was too much for the faith that they had. And so what Peter really is trying to do is to help us to have a faith that is stronger than whatever we'll go through. And I think that's important. It's vital that we find a God who's bigger than we are not only bigger than we are, but bigger than we would imagine that is able to work through anything that would happen, that we could accept him and accept life on the terms that we get and not on the terms that we expect. Because I think a lot of our, Thoughts about God can turn into idolatry when we bring God into a place where we see how we think he's supposed to act and we start putting our ideas on what God should do and when he doesn't do what we expect, then our faith goes out the window and maybe that's actually a good thing. Maybe that faith in that God should go out the window because it isn't faith in who God really is. And so Peter is going to describe suffering, how it feels, the experience, and what happens when we go through it. And the truth is that the faith and the God that you had before you went through the suffering is gonna be completely different than the faith and the God you have on the backside of suffering. That you're gonna find that all your thoughts and ideas of how things were when you go in the middle of something or begin to go through something, it transitions, it actually becomes something else as you go through it and then you look back and now God looks bigger, maybe even a little bit more scary And love and grace are a lot deeper and wider than you'd imagined. And it happens through this time of suffering. The back end of our encounter with God, he will actually may seem unfamiliar to us because our ideas that limited him have been shattered. And who we see he actually is now shows up in a way that, again, I believe is healthy. Because I believe his love and his mercy is so much bigger than the things that we go through. And so there are four things that I want to talk about concerning suffering. I want to talk about confusion that takes place in suffering. I want to talk about shame and suffering. I'm going to talk about the refining of suffering. And then we're going to talk about the surrender of suffering. But first, let's read chapter 4. Verses 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. As we look at these different areas of suffering, we're going to kind of talk about three types of suffering. We're going to talk about suffering that comes from faith, like what Peter is dealing with here. Those people who follow Jesus and are persecuted because of that faith in Christ, they lose their ability to have income, they lose maybe uh, their association with family or community, they might even lose their life. And those things still happen. We still read about horrific stories of people being beheaded or persecuted today. And, and so there is a suffering that comes from faith itself. And this is more than just the social pressure. Well, they don't like me anymore because I'm a Christian, right? It's not, that's not the kind of suffering for faith that I want. I don't want to link that in there. I know that that's legitimate and there is a, a type of suffering we go through, but let's not throw that in the same barrel just for sake of those who really give their lives for those things. And then we want to talk about suffering that comes just from a fallen world, from the brokenness of humanity, Uh, suffering that comes because of the human condition. Uh, It's interesting because there is an assumption throughout all of Scripture, really from Genesis 3 to Revelation, that we are living in a broken world and that these kinds of things happen. There is this kind of assumption, there is no this ideology that everything is fine if you just get good enough. There is this brokenness that is in humanity, and so there is a suffering that comes because you know people are greedy, because governments take advantage because of so many things that are just a part of society. And then we want to talk about a suffering that comes from our own brokenness, our own sin, the things that you reap what you sow, how you do something, and then you reap the consequences of what you've done and, and it could be anything from well, you smoked all those years, and now you have cancer to you know anything else that you've done that affects you personally. There are similarities in all of these, but it's good to identify what type of suffering you might be in, because as you see it in these relationships, it helps you to maybe see things a little bit more clearly as you go through it. So here, Peter talks about this idea of not being confused. Don't be surprised, he says. He uses the word surprise. He uses the word fiery. He says, don't think it's strange. When you begin to suffer, oftentimes there's a feeling of confusion that takes place of like, this shouldn't be happening to me. Why is this happening to me? How many people have asked that? Why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? How many times does that come to mind when you go through something? It's kind of this given that we start thinking that I did everything right. I did what I was supposed to do. You know, I'm supposed to live an abundant life. Jesus said he came to give me life and life abundantly, and we think that means happy. And we're not living abundant life, and so God apparently thinks this idea of abundant is different than what I think it is. And we start to wonder, why is this happening to me? And what happens if we're not living up to our definition of that abundant life is that we start to, to get together and we start to th- pretend that we're living that life. In other words, I, I know what this Christian life is supposed to look like. I want to look like that, and so I want everyone to think I'm looking like that. And when I go through suffering, instead of coming out and saying, I'm hurting, we oftentimes put on the brave face and just pretend to be okay, when really we're hurting. I I think one of the bigger tragedies in Christianity, I I think, is this cover-up that takes place or this uh, not wanting to be seen because of embarrassment, because of an idea that we have that keeps us from being able to be genuine Now, being genuine, you still have to be smart. You don't just throw up all the stuff that you're going through to anybody, but think about how important it is to be able to have the honest conversations that we need with people. I know that so many people I've heard that said the greatest thing that has come out of the Western church is the 12-step program, where it says, I am unable to, to do what needs to be done i need help and that honesty that shows up for so many people is just like wow this is great i've heard so many uh people talking just over the last year i would say probably since the celebrate recovery has started and been more aware of it that the first time they went somewhere well, i heard this actually twice i heard it at uh little conference I went to with Rob Bell. He says he was pastoring a church out in Michigan, and one of the guys says, you need to go to an AA meeting. He goes, I'm not alcoholic. He goes, you need to go. And he went there, and he said it was the first time he was with a group of people that were actually honest. And it stood out to him. He said, this is amazing. And that's the kind of thing that happens when we're able to Say, hey, what's going on here? Why is this happening? I thought everything was going to be okay, but it's not going according to how I thought it was. Our understanding sometimes brings confusion. We stumble when we think that God wants me to be healthy, wealthy, and beautiful, and then I look in the mirror and I see Shrek still there, right? You know, it's like I am still who I am. I'm not that. Beautiful person that I wanted to be, and I get confused and wonder why, why is this happening to me? Shouldn't I be here? And so there's a confusion that takes place, and Peter is trying to get us to understand don't think it's strange that this isn't an uncommon thing, that this isn't out of the norm, that actually this is to be expected. And then part of, again, pushing into why it's expected, we're going to talk about the shame, a shame of suffering is any kind of suffering actually can bring shame. Shame because I maybe created this mess, you know, shame, I did something I shouldn't have done or shame because I can't fix this mess. How many times we we 're in part of this thing that 's going wrong we 're going through this you know I, I can imagine a, a husband or a father seeing his family go through some kind of illness, some kind of difficulty, you know imagine being hungry or without the things that they need, and feeling this shame because of the suffering that you 're going through because man i 'm not able to fix this i can 't help them, and, and so there 's this kind of awkward feeling like, I should be able to do this, but then you can't. And then this shame comes because you can't. Or the reverse side of that, I did something I shouldn't have had. I had an affair and I feel shame because now my family found out about it. Or I was abusing drugs and now people know about it. And so I start feeling the shame because of those things. And and there's a suffering that comes just in that shame. A lot of times At this time, people who are, you know, when you're going through a difficulty, say your your family is hurting and you can't do anything or you're in a financially difficult place or work stinks and you just feel overwhelmed, a lot of times well-meaning brothers and sisters will come alongside and, and what they'll do is they'll give us this bag of tricks to do to make things better, to take suffering away. And then if you say, well, has that bag of tricks worked for you? It's like, well, no, but I thought I'd throw it at you and see if it works, right? You know, it's like, because we all have a bag of tricks and we all do that kind of thing. Someone's going through something and a lot of times, you know, you're just in the middle of it and they say, well, have you prayed? Now, prayer is a great thing, but most of the time you probably have prayed and praying doesn't change the situation every time. A lot of times it's supposed to change us. But sometimes that idea of, hey, have you done this? It's like, thank you for throwing that out to me. But, you know, sometimes things aren't going to be miraculously fixed. And they're not going to be cured. And it's not going to go easy. And it's not going to happen the way we want it to. But a lot of times people think that when things are bad, there is, you need to do something so that you feel better about it. I want to see you say everything's good. It's like, well, it's not good. And it's okay to say it's not good. It's okay to say, I don't like this. It's okay to say, I'm hurting. It's okay to say, I don't understand. It's okay to say, I feel terrible about what's going on. And instead of someone trying to come and fix you, someone to just come alongside and just to put an arm around you. Sometimes that's the most comforting thing, is someone to just identify with your pain and sit silently with you in it. Because it's doing something to us. God actually has a purpose in that suffering, just as he did in Christ, which is what he mentions there. He says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. How are they sharing Christ's sufferings? Well, they're going through persecution, just like Jesus did. They're doing it because of Jesus. And that's a big part of what Peter's talking about here. Don't be persecuted because you do something stupid. You're robbing or hurting people. Be persecuted because you're doing something good like what Jesus did. And and so God has this purpose. And what's great about Peter is think about Peter and what Peter has gone through. You see, Peter's encouraging these people and us to be able to you know, stand through this suffering and not think it's strange that you didn't do something wrong, that God still cares. In fact, God is working. And you think about Peter denying Jesus, you know, three times. He he denied him because he didn't want to suffer. Right? They're, They're persecuting Jesus. And then someone says, hey, weren't you with him? No, no, I wasn't with him. Why did he say that? Because he didn't want to suffer. And so this idea of staying away from the suffering actually caused deeper pain in Peter. And Peter's trying to help us to move through this. There's a suffering that is refining. And he talked about this in chapter one, verses six and seven. It says, "In this you rejoice, though now for a while, a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold per- the, that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ maybe the reason you're going through something is cuz as you go through it it's transforming you into someone else. And that takes place through all kinds of suffering. Suffering is a a press that pushes on our lives that produces something within us. Refining, the idea of refining, if you think about it, it's not really great PR for Christian faith. Hey, God's gonna refine you, sign me up. Oh boy, that sounds like a lot of fun. You know, but refining reveals. What refining does is it shows what's really there. You see, it's easier to be that Christian when things are going well. I can be kind when there's nothing irking me. I can be generous when I have a lot because I'm not now without. Oh sure, have this. Why? Because I still have plenty. It's when I don't have much, that it's hard to give because now it's actually taking from me. And that includes kindness, that includes patience, that includes generosity financially. When difficulties come, it reveals who we really are. And that revelation might show up in anger, man, you've got a quick temper. Why? Well, I'm sorry. I'm just going through a lot at work today. What's that telling you? It's telling you the anger was there. All it took was a little pressure to pop it out. You're really bitter. Why are you really bitter? Because there's this pressure on your life and now you're without something. And so you're bitter for someone who does have something or someone who took away something from you. And so it starts to show up in those areas, and it's brought up because of this area of suffering. And you guys know the idea of refining, where they'll take gold and they'll heat it up and all the dross the things that are impure come up and they scrape it off. I mean, that's the whole idea. We find that our hearts through suffering and our sinfulness is just worse than we thought. You go through things and you find out, man, that was a terrible thing to say. Man, I can't believe I thought that. How many times have I been in an area where things are going difficult and I said something to Corinne or reacted in a way to her and I just afterwards have to apologize and just admit that was terrible. That was just awful. Don't shake your head at me. I know that was terrible. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. Why did that happen? Because that was there. Because the truth is that's still there. The truth is, I still have to deal with those things. And those things come up through the area of suffering. We find out what's really there. Find out how pride and arrogance hide themselves until the pressure comes and they can't hide any longer. And then they stand up and they say, how could this happen to me? Why did you think it couldn't happen to you? Why do you think that you're above those things? And now we see that none of us want to be artificial or pretend that we're being transformed by God. But do we really want to go through what it takes to be transformed by God? What if that's suffering? Who wants that, right? And he volunteers, stand up. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Bye, Sherry. <laughs> you see, because suffering is actually grace that helps us to see ourselves clearly, suffering is actually God's grace that helps us to see what's taking place within us. And the good news is that even though our hearts are worse than we ever thought they were, you are still loved more than you are broken. You are still loved more than your broken condition. And that's, again, the grace that shows up. That's his love. It's greater than all the dross that that refining process produces. It's greater than all the filth that comes up in our lives, no matter what that filth is. God's love is greater. And suffering is the way that the grace oftentimes exposes and produces the relationships we really say we want. And it's important to see that. See, because not only am I unable to change my circumstances, I can't even change my reaction to the circumstances so many times. Right? Like we've been saying it's easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. Reacting is where I really show up and that's where we see what's going on. Something happens, hurts me, how do I respond? I want to talk about it, I want to blast that person, I want to slander them, I want to get even, I wish something bad would happen to them, maybe I'm just talking for myself, I don't know. But those are the thoughts that start to enter into your mind and that's kind of where we start to go. We have to have these kind of moments where we start to experience these things and we wake up and we we learn through this, man, that's terrible. Why would I ever think that? Why would I want that? Well, because that's what's going on and it took this situation to expose it. Taking God and life on their terms and letting go of our need to control everything. Suffering helps us to do that because we can't control everything. Grace breaks through in these moments as you accept them moment by moment. If you know that you are at the mercy of a situation, say our friends who are suffering cancer, there is little they can do to make their body better. It is beyond their ability completely. All they have is this moment and to have this communion with God in each of those moments. Jesus told us not to worry about tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of its own. It's funny, you think of that as, oh, that's really hopeful, but really it's kind of like, oh man, there's a lot bad happening right now. You can't even handle what's tomorrow. There's enough, you need grace for right now. I need grace for the trouble now. And you see, that's what suffering does. It helps us to, to hone in on grace now. It helps us to to see the need for God now in this moment where we're at. In verse 14, he says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I love that word. He doesn't say the spirit of God empowers you. It says the spirit of God rests upon you. It's like a blanket over you. You see, when these things happen to you, the Spirit of God is just laying over you. It's covering you. It's what keeps us at that time. How many people fear that they will lose their faith if they go through too much? If I go through too much suffering, I'm afraid I might lose my faith. But actuality, again, Many people have a faith that needs to be lost. See, if a circumstance can take away your faith, then maybe that's a faith that you need to lose because it's a faith that's based on something less than who God really is. It's a faith that's based on a circumstance, an ideology of what you want. And God's willing to let you lose that kind of faith. Sometimes God wants you to lose that kind of faith so that he can bring you through to a deeper and more genuine faith. You know, a lot of times my faith is based on kind of a bartering system with God. If I do A, B, C, then God will give me X, Y, Z. And if I act this way, then God is going to do this. And we might not say it in those terms, but a lot of times I I feel that we kind of have that idea you know why would this happen to me you know i I took my kids to church i you know didn't let them listen to secular music and now my teenage daughter's pregnant god why i did those things why did that happen you know, I, I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I, I didn't do, do those things that I knew were harmful. I treated my body like the temple of the Holy Spirit, and now I'm suffering from whatever it is. God, why did that happen to me? And we have this idea that we can kind of have a faith that's based on something that we did. And a lot of times that faith needs to crash and burn because it's it's putting God into a sphere that we can see, identify, and manage. And he's not going to be managed. He's too big for us to wrap our minds around. And so when circumstances happen, we say, God, how could that happen? How could this person be elected president? God's not worried about it at all. He's bigger than this. The faith that God the faith and that God that you have at the beginning going into the suffering is going to be radically different than the faith in God you have at the back end of suffering. When you go through something traumatic, it is going to change your perception of life and it's going to open your eyes to who God is. And he's going to look a lot different. Sometimes we need to lose a shallow faith that's kind of an idealistic faith or an idle faith, idle in that we have made it and it's not actually God. We have to lose that to find the genuine faith, to find a God who is beyond our ability to control and fully wrap our minds around And what really matters comes to the surface when we're going through the times of suffering. If someone wants to talk to you about something trivial when you're going through something difficult, you have no interest. Have you noticed that? When you're going through something really hard and someone comes up to you and they want to talk about end times. I want to talk about the Antichrist or even presidential election. If I'm going to some, through something really difficult, I really could care less about those things. They really have no bearing on my life. Right now, my, my husband and I are at the brink of, you know, divorce, and you're asking me to listen to this conference that's going to talk about, you know, the end times. It really makes no difference. I really could care less right now if the so and so is the Antichrist. It really has no effect on me right now because it's out of the sphere of what's important. And what happens is when suffering presses on us, then what's important starts to surface. It starts to become very sensitive. And that's why at funerals and things, when you see that, all of a sudden people are, hey, we really need to get together. People are really trying to reach out. Why? Because now I realize how fragile life is. I realize how important people are. And it now becomes apparent to me. And it happens only through those times of suffering. You know, we all want certainty. We all want to be comfortable. But the only way certainty can happen is is if we trust God through all the uncertainty. That's all you can do. You can't be certain of anything else. And it's a little disheartening and it's a little uncomfortable, but it is also enlightening. You see, you can't be certain for tomorrow. You, you, you're not promised it. You're not certain of your health. You can't be certain of people because people have the freedom to choose. How many times I've seen people that I thought, I'm certain who that person is and they turn out to be someone else. Who can you be certain of? Only God. Only God. So if you're going to put any certainty, it has to be in God. And again, this is really what we're trying to get to. We realize that we are more broken than we can imagine, more sinful than we can imagine, that people are more broken, people are more sinful. But through all of this, we are more loved than we are sinful and that we are broken. And that's what we have certain trust in. God's amazing love, his amazing grace, his amazing mercy that is deeper than my well of suffering, which brings us to the surrender of suffering. In verse 19, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good couple of things. When it says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, he's talking about those who are doing what God's will is. Let them suffer according to God's will. It means when you suffer, it's because you're doing the things that you should. That's what he just said previously. It's not just God's going to, I'm going to make you suffer. It's suffering because of how you're living. And then, yeah, you're going to have to endure the suffering. But then he says, to a faithful creator. It's interesting. You know, this might seem a diff, kind of a depressing way to conclude this idea of suffering. It's, therefore, let him suffer according to the will of God. It's like, well, I was hoping you'd end with a rainbow and something, you know, cotton candy, and there would be, you know, and lived happily ever after. But you see, the whole idea is you commit yourself to your faithful creator He doesn't say, commit yourself to God here. He doesn't say, commit yourself to the Lord. Commit yourself to a faithful creator. The idea is this is the one who has made you. This is the one who knows what you really need. You know, it's the person who has designed that, you know, engine for the car who knows what it is needs because he designed it with that in mind. Yeah, I want you to use a synthetic oil because that is what this was designed for. The person who has created whatever it is, a piece of furniture, this is how it's supposed to be used because this is how I made it. This was my intention. Well, we're to entrust ourselves to a faithful creator, the one who knows us, the one who knows best what we need. Doing good tells me to keep being active. He says, let us do good. That means we don't quit. That means we don't stop. That means we keep moving forward. You won't want to move forward. There are times where you're going to just want to sleep and ignore what's going on. You're not going to want to keep going because the suffering is still there and happening but you have to move forward you're going to want to quit but you can't you have to keep doing good because you have a faithful creator and that's how you were made to function so you've got someone who's terminally sick they're to keep doing good Why? Because that's what's best for them. You've been wounded by somebody deeply. You're to keep doing good. Why? Because that's what's best for you to keep moving forward. That's how you get better. Instead of shutting down, shutting out, you actually step in. And that's so difficult, isn't it? It it is for me. I just want to shut down. I want to turn off. I want to move away. That's where I want to move to Montana, even though I have no idea what's in Montana. It just sounds appealing sometimes if there's no one there who can hurt me. But really what you need to do is continue doing good because that's what's good for you. And he's pushing us to this. You know, another thing that happens through this time of suffering is we can take kind of a martyr's approach to suffering where you don't know what I've gone through. Because it's genuine, your suffering is real and it really hurts. But then pretty soon what you do is you place it on a category that no one else can relate to you and so you can't receive anything from anybody because you're paralyzed in your suffering and we're paralyzed because of how much it hurts and so then we tend to tell ourselves that we have the right to be paralyzed because of how bad it really is and so Peter's telling us keep doing good even though you feel paralyzed even though you think no one understands you are to keep doing good. You're to keep moving forward. And Peter tells us to surrender to God by continuing living for him. You might walk with a limp, but you're still moving forward. You're still living for him. And so this suffering looks different in different things. If you're suffering for your faith, then you, your surrender looks like joy. I'm being persecuted for God and I can count it all joy that I am worthy to suffer for his sake. That's what we see in the book of Acts. If you're suffering because of the brokenness of humanity, because of the fall of humankind, then surrender looks like hope that there is a faithful creator who can work all things out for the good. And even though the world has meant it for bad, God can turn things around to produce something of value in me. Your surrender, if you're suffering for your own sin, then the surrender is, there is repentance, there is forgiveness, there is the ability to still live in relationship with Christ. There is forgiveness that becomes the place of surrender. You think about our sacrament of communion, that we are supposed to do this as often as we eat and drink. We're to do what? Remember the Lord's, death. What an interesting thing to have to remember. Why would that be so central, a part of our faith? Because suffering is actually an example that Jesus gave for us of how we surrender to God and produce life because of this. Suffering, in many ways, is like a womb that we have to go through to be born. There's going to be contraction. There's going to be the squeezing that produces life. But when life comes out, when you're born, you're naked, you have nothing. You're vulnerable, you're totally dependent. For your life. And while you were in your mother's womb, you might have heard her voice, but it was through the embryonic fluid. And when you're born, her voice sounds different. But it's clear. And you see a stranger for the first time. And that's actually the one who gave you. And suffering does the same thing. Sometimes we go through it and we come out and now God's voice is clear. And now we see him like we've never seen him before. His face seems unfamiliar because now we actually see it. And that's what suffering does in our lives and through our lives and why we need to see it as the grace of God and continue moving through it. Any questions? Let's pray. Father, there are so many people who came to my mind as I was putting this together. So many people who have suffered and are still suffering in one way Or another. So many people who are dealing with physical ailments that are continuous, so many people who are dealing with mental ailments that are ever going on and on, and some people who are dealing with broken heart and relationship ailments that the wounds are deep. And Lord, I pray that through the suffering, that they are experiencing for whatever reason you would reveal yourself. God, I pray that they would see you more clearly, that this suffering would be a, a birthing process for them. And as difficult as it is, may they come out alive and doing good. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast.